All right, well, welcome tonight. It's great to be here with everyone. Uh, it's great to worship with everyone and, and quite enjoyable. So glad everyone's here. And as you guys know, we are going through a series on evangelism. And the past few weeks, it's, it's been tough. Um, you know, you can really hear that in our comments. And so let's briefly review. So the first week, we did our intro into evangelism. We looked at the three methods. And it's very interesting to, to hear those comments and to hear the methods of the street evangelism. And we did point out a lot of things like uh, captive audience and uh, videotaping and different things that we really didn't like. Um, so that was the first week. Second week is examining our own assumptions about them. So some of those assumptions that we looked at, uh, some of the previous, these, were, these are comments from our first two weeks. So the, some of them are, are direct statements, some of them are not. But uh, things like it would be more powerful to serve people breakfast than to preach at them. Um, telling a testimony conveys more information and is more effective. Three, everyone already knows about salvation in John 3.16, so maybe, maybe evangelism isn't impo as important as, as we think it is or, or as we have been told by other people. Four, if we focus too much on the method of evangelism, we are taking matters into our own hands and not relying on the Holy Spirit. Four, evangelism is often condescending and offensive, lacking humility, as we point out numerous times uh, from, from the three models in the first week. And evangelism works best in the context of relationship. So those were some of our assumptions. Those are some of the things that began to come up uh, and surface as we saw those. Now here are some on John's commentary about last week he continued on. The first week he kind of let us vent. Last week he was saying some of the things, we have strong objections to the ways in which evangelism is done. Not on any biblical basis, but on the basis of how we feel about it personally. So sometimes there's just this gut reaction. We don't like that for some reason or another. doesn't really matter if this is, uh, you know, necessarily if we're trying to say, oh, this isn't how they did it in the Bible or, or in the early church or things like that. It's just we don't like the idea of it. There's some gut reactions that make us not like some methods over some others. Another, we have used our objection to the various methods of evangelism to rationalize the fact that we are not involved in evangelism. So there's a reaction to, we don't want to be the, like those guys, right? I mean, a lot of the things we saw uh, I, in school, I saw in, in undergrad, there were a lot of times where there was this one person in particular who would come, uh, brother something, brother John, you know, one of those people who sit in the middle of the quad, has his God hate fag signs and all those sort of things right in the middle. And, and every, the people who talked to them were the Christians going, please stop, why are you doing this? You know, this is, this is a horrible idea. So we see models like that. And we run the other direction and, and can tend to react and not want to share our faith at all because we don't want to be associated with people like that. And I think there's good reason to not want to be associated with people, but I'm not sure that gets us off the hook. Um, three, we have no trouble telling everyone else about the good news in other areas of our life, but we never share the good news about Christ, either because we are not excited about Christ, uh, he has really not impacted us, or we simply don't fully believe what we say we believe. Um, so we did... This was another one of John's thoughts, is that sometimes maybe uh, there's this internal thing we need to be doing. How much do we really believe in the Lord that we say we do? Or how, how, how much of a vibrant relationship are we having right now with the Lord? And that's something that, that we should continue to examine. Here are some of my observations. And you guys know that you can object or, or say things uh, as we go along. But some of my thoughts um, and some of what's going to guide tonight a little bit. Um, we need to be careful not to create a straw man bad evangelism and then knock it down. Um, I really do think it, it is a reaction to not uh, to say, well, I don't want to be associated with the crazy people, which I think is good, but then to be terrified to share your faith, whether that's 
individually or whether that's with a smaller group of people or with a larger group of people. If we go into that, I think that's a really, really big problem. Um, so my, my hope is that we wouldn't create a straw man, which is bad evangelism, and then say, oh, we can't do that and, and run the other way. Okay? A second one that I think we run into is, is a real cultural issue of toleration. We hinted at it a little bit last week. Um, I really believe toleration is one of the West, or at least America's, highest values. Um, you know, I mean, can anyone answer me? What are the two things you don't talk about with other people? Anybody? Ah, there it is. Politics and religion. That's my point. So we all know this, right? And, and there's some extent where that affects a lot of us. Now, in this group, we feel very free to talk about both those things. I, I, I would actually say uh, we do that quite often here. But I don't know how we do that in the rest of our lives. And, and generally speaking, that is the culture of our country, is, is if you want to have safe friendship, if you want to have relationship with people, you don't want to make people angry or offend someone, you don't talk about religion and politics, you keep that into a private sphere. Okay, that's a real problem in my, in my eyes. And it's something that we have to figure out how to, there, there are nuances, right? And, and, and I'm not saying that, yeah, please go offend everyone. You know, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we have to be careful. And our third one, my third one is tied into that. We have to be careful how much we care about other people's opinions. Um, we have to be careful about how much weight we give that. Um, because I think the Bible clearly teaches that, and, and as followers, we are supposed to care what God thinks <laughs> over above everyone else. So there are numerous times throughout the scriptures where people make really big fools of themselves in obedience to God, right? It's not you make a fool of yourself because you feel like it or say something because, you know, you, you want to make someone angry. That is not what I'm saying at all. Um, this is a personal thing that I've also been dealing with through the years is how much, how often is someone's opinion of me dictating what I say or don't say? Right? There are hard conversations to have with people, and I have the fear very often of what is this person going to do uh, if, if, if they disagree with me? Or clearly they're going to disagree with me. Are they going to reject me as a friend, as a person? Maybe I just won't say that. Right? And I think we all have those internal thoughts. So I'm just saying we need to weigh that out. Um, we clearly should care to some level about others' opinion. I mean, there, there are factors, but let's not elevate it too much. And fourth, um, I really think this is important for us to hear, is we have a culture in Exodus that in practice doesn't value evangelism all that highly. Um, I really believe that. And I, the best comparison I can say is I was a part in undergrad of a culture, a Christian culture, that elevated to the absolute highest. I was a part of Campus Crusade for Christ, where if you're not sharing your faith, you're not really a Christian, right? And so I've been to the polar opposite, where I'm not saying that that's necessarily what we should or should not be doing. I'm just saying I've seen different Christian cultures and been a part of them as far as um, there was even pressure there if you were not sharing your faith. And I don't think that's right. I don't think we're supposed to evangelize out of guilt um, and, and those things. But, but it is something we need to consider. And we need to consider why we think that is. I mean, am I putting words in people's mouths? Yeah. You know, it's strange, especially with point four. It makes it sound like evangelism is something that's programmatic. And that's what's... Like, if Exodus doesn't, or if a group doesn't, I don't think that 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 means that its members aren't in their, whatever their daily lives, practicing that. And I think that might be some distinction that might have to be made. I, yeah, I like your statement. But we did look, I mean, the first week you guys did take quiz. And I think by our own admission, witnessing was something that was low, right? I mean, the number of people uh, who, who have, taught, who have uh, had spiritual conversations specifically about Christ without non-believers. So I would say even by our own admission, they weren't so high, you know, and, and I would argue they aren't our strong points. Because um, I agree with that fact. I don't necessarily think you need to have some program or some 
say that, well, we have to do this, 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 and then we're evangelistically focused. I, I do agree with that. The problem, though, is I would say by our own admission, um, I would say this is a, this is a weaker point. Um, so that's why, what I would say to that. So tonight, why is evangelism so important? And I ultimately believe, one, God has given us this task in the world. We witness in love and obedience to our Lord. We are going to walk a little bit through the book of Acts. We're going to kind of actually fly through it, and we're going to focus on Acts 3. But one of the first statements, this is one of the thesis or one of the most important statements in Acts that really dictates the rest of the book. And, and so Jesus, one of the last things in, in Luke's recording of the gospel and, and into Acts, the last thing Jesus says to his followers is this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven, and it's, and it's that last calling. And so it's very similar to the Great Commission, which we looked at last week and the week before. And we are clearly called to be witnesses, both in the surrounding people and, and throughout the world, right? I mean, he gave them a command to say, hey, this is not going to be um, just a Jewish thing. And that's going to be played out a little bit through Acts, where uh, God is going to confirm that by giving visions to Peter and by calling Paul. And, and, and a lot of different things happen where there's a very clear idea that this Jesus was not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, and it's for all the world. But I believe that this is a clear calling for all disciples then and, and now, is that we are going to be witnesses to who Christ is and what he does in the world. Another example, um, so we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He calls us ambassadors for Christ, and if we know what ambassadors do, they represent usually countries. They play an unbelievably important role. When that person speaks or acts, they do so on behalf of a country. And that, that word choice is very powerful, very meaningful, um, and something that we should take very seriously, where God, for whatever reason, has given us deep responsibility. I remember Phil last week saying something to the extent of why would he give us so much responsibility, right? There, there's a certain amount of weight that is there. And I think he's right on. <laughs> I think it, it is something that for whatever reason, God seems to partner with humanity and call us uh, into participating with him and seems to give us great responsibility in this manner. Third, Paul is, is lamenting something here or, or shows the importance of evangelism here where it says, but how are they to call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in the one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we're not going to get into the idea of what happens to someone who, who has never heard of the word of Christ or who has never been. We're not going to go into those topics specifically right now. But either way, the statement surely shows at least Paul's worried about it, right? So at minimum, we, we may not know exactly how God is going to judge those who, who never hear or, or who this hasn't been fulfilled, where they haven't been sent. We're not going to go into those because I don't know if there are real answers. But regardless, Paul was deeply concerned that if people didn't listen to this, if they didn't take the Great Commission seriously, if they didn't take this idea you're going to be witnesses throughout the world, he was very worried, right? And I think we should be too. And, and throughout the history of our faith, people have looked to things like this and say, yeah, we need to go. I mean, there are still people groups who, have, who don't have uh, the Bible translated into their language who, who don't know Christians, and there are lots of Christians who deeply say, all right, we got to do something about that. We need to go out and fix that, right? Um, and one I didn't put up is if you look at chapter 1 of Philippians as well, Paul even says a very interesting thing where he seems to indicate that 
there are some Christians who are preaching the word of God with bad motivations and some with good. And he says the bottom line, but what does it matter except that they preach? Right? And so we see, regardless, again, I don't think Paul is saying, yeah, preach the Lord with bad motivation. He's clearly not saying that. But what he is saying is that, again, you really see the importance, the necessity, the bottom line of, hey, we are called to be witnesses. And even if someone does this in bad motives, that's better than not doing it all because this is God's task that he has given us in a very powerful way. Yeah? Are you saying that doing it with bad motives is better than not doing it at all? That seems what Paul seems to say. I, I, I mean, it's a strange passage. I mean, I admit. Would you like, yeah, I'll read it for it. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it for us so, I mean, at least we can sit under it and, and hear it. So it's, it's Philippians 1, verse 15. So some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. So again, at least Paul seems to say, at least people are preaching. If it brings me personal suffering, fine, it doesn't matter. I would rather have them preach. I don't think I want to go into this tale, but I mean, that's at least what Paul is saying. So again, at least from these last three passages, we can see Paul and his concern for evangelism. I mean, we have to at least grant that. I don't think whether you want to agree with Paul or you want to do other things, that's a different matter. But he saw this as of the utmost importance. That's the point I'm trying, one of the strongest points I'm trying to make tonight is to say we have to take this utterly serious because Paul did, because the early church did, because throughout the history of our faith, Christians have said this is a central task in what it means to follow Christ, is to witness to who he is and what he did and how the world is, is different now because of him coming. Second, it was the primary way in which the church grew and spread throughout the world. We can't overlook that, and especially when you look in the book of Acts, Paul took missionary journeys. I mean, this is when, uh, I mean, you see the faith begin to spread um, slowly, but powerfully, and very intentionally and strategically. Paul did not just go somewhere and say, ah, it'll happen how it happens. No, he actually had a very strong process and saw it again. I mean, it was his commissioning in Acts 9, is to go and, and, and become a, preach, a preacher to the Gentiles. Um, and that's a very, very powerful thing that we have to do. I'm not going to list 19 points why evangelism is important. I think these two alone give us a lot. We're supposed to obey God in this and evangelize in love and obedience to him because he's given us this task. And two, it's because it's the primary way which the church grew, and I still think it's supposed to be the primary way which we grow now. So, so we'll keep that there, and I think we probably do need to work at what is evangelism exactly. John did mention it last week, though. It's giving witness, right? It's bringing good news. Um, and, and so I think that comes, I mean, there's a real problem in Haiti right now that we all know of, and bringing good news to them right now are things like food and water and health care and, and, and things like that. That is, it is literally saving their physical life. But to do that without, for, for me, if, if I were there right now, and if Christians are there and they're doing that aside from also speaking the word of life to them and um, taking the time to say, yeah, like we're here with this church down the road and different things like that. I, I think that would be a shame because we need uh, to do that in the name of Christ. Um, what I also want to do real quickly before we go into Acts is kind of like an overview of the biblical narrative in the sense of what is God's activity and our activity? Because in Acts, the Holy Spirit is really important. And I think we need to evangelize from a place that God has initiated 
all things in this world as far as, I mean, first of all, so he decided to create time, space, earth, and everything that fills it, right? He revealed himself to humankind first in Adam and Eve, the patriarchs uh, throughout the history of Israel. Uh, he freed his people from Egypt. He fulfilled the promises made to certain prophets. Um, he anointed leaders and kings like David and Saul and, and Samuel and all these others. He spoke through the prophets and he came in the flesh and incarnate in Jesus, right? So God has been extremely active throughout the world and we are then to participate in his activity. Yeah? There's people who might not, like they might not even buy into this. So is that problematic for us? I mean, is there any reason for them to even give us the time of day? Yeah, I think that falls under the idea of we do need to be able to be nuanced in our faith, especially if, if you read Acts, which you guys should more than do, especially during this series. I think it's a great time to do that. Paul was unbelievably versed in, in the culture, and in, he was able to operate at their level and to be able to come into certain worldviews and, and uh, sit there and understand them and be able to articulate why he believed Jesus was the Messiah and unfulfilled certain things. And I think that's important for us to do as well, especially in our context, most evangelism, daily evangelism won't be with, with some random I mean, it's going to be with people who have possibly some sort of understanding or have heard about Jesus. Now, John identified last week that we sometimes will give too much credit to say, well, everyone's heard the gospel, so, so we don't need to say it. Where that's not true because the popular culture also is going to portray Christianity very differently. And I mean, lots of people in our own congregations aren't all that biblically literate to begin with. So, so I think you're absolutely correct in saying, first of all, we need to be able to have conversations. We need to actually listen to people and understand <laughs> what is their understanding. Um, there will be people who flat out won't say, but I don't care what the Bible has to say, or I don't uh, agree with your view of you know, inspiration of scriptures and you know, when you're sitting there. So yeah, there are some people who, if you're just giving Bible verses or story after story, they're going to say, but I don't think any of that's true. You're going to have to come at it at a different way. One of the things in Acts, one of the problems that they didn't have, when they were speaking to the Jews, there was a certain understanding of a Messiah, a servant, where, where their job was to say, this is the one. He's the guy who, who see all this. This is what's been going on for the history of humankind. And they were operating on the same conversational level where we, we probably aren't going to see that as often. So I think that's a really important point. It does highlight the complexity of it. But it doesn't say that we shouldn't be engaging at that level, that we shouldn't take that very seriously. Or to say, especially if, if they are, are saying things that we don't understand, then guess what? We have homework to do. <laughs> we have learning to do that can then be put into process. So yeah, I, I do think that's important. The, the point I wanted to make, though, is that I believe that God initiates evangelism. Jesus was never plan B. Um, for salvation, right? And God's activity has extended before time. <laughs> um, and Jesus sent out the Holy Spirit. And it was this event in Acts 2, Pentecost, that changed everything. I mean, it was a quite powerful thing. And, and, and in the book of John, it's made very clear also, like, I have to go back to the Father and I'm going to send you the advocate. I'm going to send you the one who's going to bring you into all truth. That, that totally revolutionized the Christian faith. Um, and so again, God's activity is extremely important to us now because in like manner the Holy Spirit is supposed to lead us in witnessing. Right? A lot of times Jeremy talked about programmatic efforts. I don't think it's wrong to say, all right, what, what are the needs of our community and to think through things. Um, I, I, I think that's great. But the Holy Spirit, where is the Holy Spirit in this? You know, what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? Um, it's very powerful at the things that Peter and John and, and Paul do 
in the New Testament. And a lot of the times the text is very clear. It's like they were led by the Spirit or the Holy Spirit spoke to them or statements like that that really make you say, wow, what does it mean to be in that type of relationship with Christ? And, and how would that affect uh, the way um, we communicate our faith and different things like that? So in that, we're going to go really quickly through just a few scenes of the book of Acts. Um, and we're going to come back to chapter 3. We're going to actually sit on it because I am making this case of kind of the word and deeds and how they end up going together quite often. So we already looked at that opening statement that you will be witnesses in, in all the world. In Acts 2, we have the story of Pentecost um, and where you're going to have the Spirit is given. So God does a very powerful thing. People are speaking in different tongues, uh, different languages, and other people's response to this is they think they're drunk, right? There's a very, very strange event. And then Peter comes to say, wait a minute, this is what is actually going on here. This is the prophecy Joel where I will pour out my spirit upon all believers. Um, and he gives a gospel presentation. So you see this act of God that if someone isn't there to say, wait a minute, let me clear this up. <laughs> let, let me say this, this is what's actually going on here. You'd probably have a lot of chaos, right? So you have this, this deed and this word. Chapter 3, which we're going to look at later. So Peter and John go up to the temple and heal a man. And then there is a gospel, you know, there, there's a certain witnessing aspect that's verbal. Right? And so we'll come back to that, so I'm just touching on it very, very quickly. Chapter 4, you're going to have Peter and John arrested by authorities. Oh, so at that first one in Pentecost, 5,000 people come to faith um, because of Peter's explanation. Right? Um, in chapter 4, it's going to continue on. Peter and John have to defend themselves before authorities, different things like that. And we see the early picture of the community of the believers. Right? And we've looked at that a lot, where they're sharing resources and food and praying and teaching um, they're acting in, in accordance with one another. Um, chapter 5, the apostles are freed, they're arrested, and then freed by an angel, and then they're told to witness publicly. Right? So you have this interaction, uh, a big deed, and then uh, them speaking again. Chapter 6 and 7 are discussing Stephen's martyrdom. Um, Stephen becomes a major leader in the church. He's doing healings and various powerful signs that people are, there's popularity, uh, people are coming to faith, and he's ultimately martyred. Right? And in his speech, he really goes after <laughs> their people. I mean, one of the statements I wanted to even just put up there after he goes through this explanation of who Christ is and how, how they haven't listened, he attacks them, saying, You stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors do. And that gets him killed. <laughs> you know, I mean, so he really incites the people who are putting him on trial, who are persecuting him, and really felt that that was the calling upon his life. Um, and from that, the first persecution occurs in Jerusalem. So, because it, it's very chaotic, he's stoned, and and then the the church in Jerusalem is persecuted. And so people kind of move out. Basically, the believers have to run away a little bit. Um, you're going to see Philip go and talk with a eunuch from Ethiopia. Um, you're going to start seeing this spreading of the faith that I was discussing. So it starts in Jerusalem, and so you see Acts one eight beginning to be fulfilled. Um, Saul's conversion and his commission to the Gentiles in chapter 9 is going to continue that. Chapters 10 and 11 are going to concern Peter's vision where, again, he's told to eat what would have been unclean animals and unclean things. That's supposed to be a metaphor for the fact that the Jews and the Gentiles are going to become one, that this gospel is for all of them, um, that it's not just for the Jews. Um, then you have in first, uh, chapter 11, you have Paul's first missionary journey where he's going to start going around with uh, Barnabas. And then in chapter 15, um, you're going to have the council at Jerusalem that makes it really official because it was one of the early churches 
most difficult decisions. Do you have to be Jewish to follow Jesus? And if so, I mean, do you have to follow circumcision, Sabbath, and dietary laws? And, and they basically say no. Um, but there were still a lot of growing pains in that. And you see there were fights between Paul and Peter, and so there's a lot of different things going on in the early church. So I want to make a few observations. I know I, I didn't feel like I could do much more than just kind of run through these things. I really would like you all to look back at Acts and, and test some of these things and really think about them. Um, because some of my observations uh, on these is, one, Jesus clearly desires his people to witness throughout the world. So we saw that in 1.8, and we see that in the way uh, people were willing to take persecutions, um, in the way Paul was, was very intentional about going out and, and felt called to do that by God. Um, witnessing was extremely important. Two, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ needs to be explained lovingly, thoroughly, and convincingly. General revelation, Romans 1 kind of describes people could come to the idea that God exists by just looking at creation. It is possible just to say, wow, there is such complexity, there is such magnitude, things like that. There, there must be some God who created this. really only gets to the place of deism, right? Things like the incarnation, resurrection, those are very specific revelation that unless God, again, God seriously could very easily give visions or, or do certain things. It's not to say that he can't. Um, but it's to say that he seems to use throughout the book of Acts people to explain this is the meaning of this person. This is who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, right? And so there is this important, and that's what he has given us to do. Three, I don't think you need to have a relationship with a person before you can share God's word. Um, we highlighted that the last couple weeks where we said, yeah, you, you need to be able to share in the context of relationship. I believe in the sense that relationships are great, and you should, we should care about all people. But... Peter and Paul and all these people, they, they talked to people they didn't know firsthand, right? I mean, they were able to speak God's word to individuals that they didn't know on a personal basis. And so I think we just have to remember that, that God's word is very powerful. It's, it's more powerful than anything we have to say. I, I really believe that. And when these people uh, in Acts witness, very often they're quoting scripture, right? They're quoting the, the Old Testament and explaining it. So I think those are very important things to keep in mind. Four, the apostles were bold and unafraid of what others thought of them. The idea of boldness is, is really important. Um, again, if you read chapter 1 in Philippians, Paul prays for boldness for himself and for others, and that he was very encouraged when others were bold in preaching their faith. And we should hear that, because we have to understand, I mean, are we bold? Do, do we even care about the idea of looking to share our faith in, in, in strong manner, in, in a way that's convincing and, and that we actually believe ourselves. <laughs> I think sometimes when we witness uh, verbally, I don't know if we believe very strongly in what we're saying. I think a lot of times it comes from an external pressure that says you have to do this. So, okay, fine, I'll do it. Five, God is the one who performed miracles, gave healing, and cast out demons in, in these stories, right? And so that's where God's activity is supposed to lead us into witnessing, right? And, and so whether it's leading us into more normal services of, of feeding a homeless person or spending time with a friend and, and helping them through a tough time. Um, those all count, but I mean, it's God who is the one who does these powerful acts, and then we participate, yeah. Well, like, since you brought that up, I mean, like, in acts, a lot of their major steps in witnessing happen plus things. So, like, how, how does that play in? Like, you said, oh, well, we can get food and do stuff like that, but right. that doesn't convince anybody. We have not as much as miraculously created. Right, if something, right, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's a really difficult question. And we have talked about in the past when we did our, our series on prayer and, and faith and, and the involvement of faith. 
But we'll see in Acts 3 where Peter and John, when they go up to heal this man, they just look at him and feel the sense that they're supposed to heal him. So I don't know what it's like because I've never, I can't speak to that because I've never sat there and said, oh my God, I think God wants to heal this person. I think he wants to do it right now. And I'm going to say that, you know, I mean, I'm usually terrified to even do something like that. So I don't know what that says about my faith. I don't know what it says about miracles today. I do think God calls us to have faith that he might actually do that in other people's lives. But that is where, if, if God chooses to heal someone, then we need to be there to explain that. And if he doesn't, then it, it's out of our hands. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's something we, we should worry too much about. But do we even pray for things like that? Do we even desire to see that happen? Do we think it's possible? I mean, those are a lot of questions that we should really think about. We've covered this on our prayers that God isn't a, a genie where we, we, rub, the, we rub the lamp and, and he does things for us. You know, I don't, it doesn't work that way. We know that. Do you think that it's possible to go about evangelism without that? To say, like, well, yeah, I fully accept the fact, like, if I fully believe I cannot do miraculous things and will not do miraculous things because apparently it's not happening, so it's not going to happen. You know, like, and, but I can still do evangelism. Yeah, I would say... Again, I think we need to look internally about faith. I would say clearly we can evangelism without something like that, right? I mean, I know how I came to faith, and it was in a Sunday school <laughs> where someone taught me about Jesus, and, and at that point I, I placed my faith in him and, and said, yeah, I think this is right. And So, so I mean, <laughs> I, I think we all have similar, I don't know how everyone came to faith, but I would be willing to bet most of us didn't have something happen like that to us where we were miraculously healed or we saw someone and then came to faith. So we're all sitting in this room, with most of us not having that experience. So clearly evangelism can be done in a way that, that doesn't rely upon that. But I absolutely concede and agree that there are really powerful things that did propel the church. I mean, and that's why you could see thousands coming to faith in a certain event because they all saw this healing explain, I'm in, you, you know, so, yeah. Well, I think to kind of back Bill's point, with, with most of the way that people have probably evangelized to us that if we came to Christ, was not similar to the way that Peter or the early apostles did, um, which makes it harder to go by that model. Yeah, I don't even think, because Jeremy brought it, I don't think it's a model, you know, like I don't even think that's something that we can force, you know, but we didn't look at Acts 2 and 4, but we have in the past, right, and, and these disciples are gathering every night, every day, sharing food, sharing resources, praying, teaching. They're living a life that, for the most of it, we don't really do things, not to that extent, right? I mean, it looks like they kind of threw out all, like, a lot of their personal ambitions and goals were redirected by coming into this community and, and, and reshaping their identities with each other and with God and with others. Where may, I mean, maybe there's some level of faith that they're living out that, that we're not. I don't know. I mean, I don't have good answers for why we're not seeing miracles like this in our lives. I still believe they're happening now. I mean, there are, there are lots of people who, who describe such things, and, and that's another conversation, uh, but it's still significant. Where I, I believe God is still in the business of, of doing things like this. Uh, I believe he's very active in the world, and, and so why we don't see that here or in our lives, I'm not sure. I don't know if we can really answer that. Um, um, seven, we should expect different responses from people, and we should not assume anything about who will or won't follow Jesus. And I think this is a real deterrent in evangelism, and it's a deterrent at times uh, in my life uh, with, with close friends or, or family members who, who may not know the Lord, and you just sit there and say, I don't think this will ever change, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, and it can be this fatalism. We, we don't have a clue, right? It's God who makes, and makes it grow. God is the one in, in charge of that, and so that's not 
what we are called to do. We are called to witness and to be faithful in that. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm curious about, it, it seems like in the scriptures it's presented that it's the spirit that prompts conversion. Like, it's, in fact, it's all God, right? So my question with that thinking is, what does it matter at all, the role that we play? Like, if God has already, like, if it's God's spirit that prompts someone's turn to God, then really we seem more like, a, like an accessory to it. But on a fairly human level, um, I expect I accept things from other humans a lot faster than I trust that something externally um, is giving me information. So it's nice to have a human tell me about God and what He's done, um, even if I can't verify it. I think that Jeremy's point is right on. We're probably going to talk about it in a couple of weeks, but the the highlight is what you've already said. Um, it is the Holy Spirit that prompts probably people to accept and we're told in scripture that you you probably couldn't come to faith without the Holy Spirit. But then God does this really weird thing of making us be the people that have to go communicate. So that's, I think, it supports kind of Morgan's point about we don't know what the response will be, but in obedience, he's still given us the task to be the messengers. And the person may never accept, they may accept out of something we didn't even intend to say, but that's because the Holy Spirit is doing God's part and then we're doing our part. Right. I think it's a faith testing and a faith building thing. Nobody that I know gets super excited about getting themselves outside of their element and going to talking to random people and putting themselves in situations where they're uncomfortable to where they might not be believed. What we've seen in the Bible is that Paul and the people who went and preached went out looking for the Holy Spirit to lead them. So what we have, and they probably didn't expect God to do huge miracles. They probably believed that he could, but they probably didn't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I have decided that I'm going to go talk to people and God's going to heal someone. I believe that can happen, but usually we don't know it's going to happen beforehand. So when we go out and we're being led by the Holy Spirit and we're looking for those opportunities and letting him lead us, God opens the doors. And God's the one who opens the doors for people to want to hear what we're saying. And when you force it, it's not really accepted. But when God's working, he still can do miraculous things, even though we can't expect it. I think so. most of them, at least in, in the accounts in the Bible, like, they did expect God to do miraculous things. I mean, Jesus said he even like commissioned them and said like you will do greater things than this. And, and, I did, right? and I think they did expect it and it seems like that from the text at least. Which makes it hard on us, you know, in the sense of <laughs> do we expect the same of God? Because I don't know if I do. Yeah. I definitely think like it's a really significant like question and thought of like well how do we reconcile this idea of like the Holy Spirit prompting or moving people and us just being along for the ride, like and I think that's difficult and I think it's significant, but I think it's also, my thought is, I think most people have more of a problem with that than they should. Like, if we are really just along for the ride, like if that's actually the case, like, I think we should be able to accept that and just say, okay, like, I'm not necessarily like, that maybe I won't know that I was being led by the Spirit now and I wasn't this other time, but maybe I was. I'm just like, no, like, I think generally as people, we have more of a problem with that than we should.
could we feel like, no, like if we're not in control of this, like it's all messed up. Like I, I wouldn't trust anybody to have control of it that I know. So like, I'm glad we don't. Okay, let's look at X3 and then we'll, we'll kind of end after this just to kind of point this out. I feel like this words indeed go together quite often in the book of Acts and so I wanted to show one example of it. Um, so let me go ahead and read. So one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at, at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no, no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus whom he handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, in this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through the holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you from among your own people a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever he tells you, and it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people. And all the prophets, as many as have spoken, from Samuel and those after him, also predicted these days. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. Um, are there any thoughts about this? I mean, does this idea of at least word and, and de deed and word, it seemed the deed preceded it in this case. I mean, this, this is some of the things that were happening and Peter seems to witness to what Christ did and, and, and make that known as opposed to just seeing a healing occur. When we serve, what do we talk about? You know, and, and, and that sort of thing, like are, are we doing certain deeds without being able to say, you know, to give witness to why you're there and, and, and what you're doing? Yeah. Um, would you feel that if we could go build a park somewhere and not be able to talk about um, or preschool or something in some country would not be able to say like why or say like it's because of like Christ and 
like explain all this that it would be pointless? Yeah, I wouldn't say pointless, no. But I would say um, my best analogy is just with, with uh, children of the nations. I mean, there's no doubt uh, World Vision, a lot of Christian faith-based sort of things, they would get a lot more money by government subsidies and, and uh, grants and different things if they were willing to say we are not, we don't do these things in the name of Christ. We're just, a, we're not faith-oriented. And I think that's very significant. That's where at least I personally, that's the camp I would be in. Um, they're very unwilling to say, yeah, let's can the Jesus thing and, and get some more money so we can do some more good. Like, no, we do this in the name of Christ. If sadly we aren't able to get as many donations, that's some of the suffering that, that we may have to take and say, we, we do this in the name of Christ and that's what we're doing. Um, and we have no apologies for that. That's at least my camp. Does that mean you don't work with people who aren't Christian? No, that, to me that, that would be ridiculous. Does that mean things aren't still a good thing? No, they, they still are. Um, would I raise lots of money to go to another country and do that without this idea? Probably not, personally. You know, so I mean, that's, that, that's just, those are my thoughts. Um, so I want to end with, you know, why is evangelism important for Exodus? Um, I just feel that it's still, as I made the case earlier, I think this is very close to the heart of God, um, that, that he desires that, that all people would come to know, and that for whatever reason, God initiates and, and moves and, and most likely does most of the work, especially in conviction, but still asks us to go and witness and, and to do that in the people we know around us and, and, and to just be faithful um, in those matters. And I think we all can sit here and say we have friends who don't know the Lord, and, and so we need to be able to figure out how, how to do that lovingly and, and you know, profess our own faith. And, and, and I think it is important to first examine yourself and if you really believe and, and to what extent and, um, that we're in that process because we're all sitting here claiming to be disciples of Christ and so we're in the disciple making being made disciples as well right and so it has to be internalized this isn't going to be a series about us you know making you know making this list on you need to do this 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 and and we're gonna all do that you know like we don't believe that that external work is is going to transform us God has to do something in in our hearts and in our minds and our thoughts and desires um, one of the things I was telling earlier this week with uh, Jeremy has come up in the past year and just vented the idea of, you know, what, what is leisure time like? Does that even exist? Is there such a thing? And so I started even kind of tracking, what did I do this week with my time? Where do I spend my time? Where are my desires? What takes up my thought life? Do we even care? Because we do say, and we've talked about it numerous times when we look at Acts 2 and Acts 4, there is this just unbelievable thing, and, and we're not going to elevate the early church to because there were fights there were all kinds of, of of issues and things but but they did reorient their very identity to say we're going to try to figure out what it means to be led by the spirit to, to care about the things god cares most about and to put our time and efforts into teaching and praying and 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 witnessing and, and living this certain life and all those things like those were their highest ambitions and desires and goals not some of the things that i waste my time with like watching sports or, or doing that and i'm not trying to demonize those things. I'm just trying to say, do we care about the things God cares about? And, and how would that impact how we as a body would, would evangelize and witness to others and, and, and the things we would spend our time doing? Um, so let's go ahead and pray um, to close up and ask the worship team back up. Father, we do thank you uh, that you are a gracious God. We thank you that you have initiated relationship with us and that you have created and that you have filled this world and that, um, God, that you invite us in, into belief in, in your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for that. Um, Lord, so we pray that you would teach us, God, and that you would convict us and, and that you would 
give us a true desire to, to have abundant relationship with you and to make that known into other people's lives. Um, we do pray for those in our families and our friends uh, who, who don't know you. Um, God, that they would come to know you because we believe that, that you give life, that you are life. So we thank you and, and just praise your name this evening. Amen.